All right, church, is your heart ready? Yeah? All right. Let's go. I'm, I'm excited for the season we're in. I'm excited for the message today. I'm excited that Thanksgiving is coming up. Yeah? Fall in Florida? Woo! It's a lot different than summer and winter in Florida, huh? Um, but the food is coming, and that is always a good thing. And as I think about Thanksgiving, one of the memories that you probably have as well, do you remember what it was like to be seated at the kids' table in your family growing up? Didn't some weird stuff happen at that table? I, I mean, there, there's funny times, I don't know about you, but it's like the, the plastic outside table gets dragged in for the kids to eat at, and it's a bench, that's how it was in my family. And then as soon as the food starts getting put on the table, so many of the kids are like, this stuffing is the wrong color. My sandwich is supposed to be cut in triangles. It's not in triangles. It's still a rectangle. That's not okay. There, there's so many little picky things that happen at the kids' table that is not allowed to happen at the grown-up table, right? I mean, there, there's a lot of pickiness, a lot of opinions, and a lot of complaining that happens at the kids' table. And that's one of the reasons why we have a kids' table as grown-ups now. Because we want a nice dinner. We want to keep that immaturity over there for a minute and just have grown-up Thanksgiving. And I don't know if your family was like that, the way that mine was and many others, that we had a kid table and we had a grown-up table, but that separation occurred for a reason. Because the, the mess and just maybe even the funniness and the cuteness, like just having the kids have their little community together, that's fun. But the conversations are different, the eating styles are different. And there comes that certain point when you get to graduate, when you're 12, 13, where you finally get to get pulled over because now you know that if someone puts green beans on your plate, you don't get to fuss about it anymore, right? If someone puts stuffing on there that isn't made the way you, you just, you say thank you and you've matured enough and so now you get your status, you get to sit up here with us because there's some maturity that has happened. And today we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving. We're going to be talking about what gets put on your plate and whether you like it or not. Because the thing is, the kids at the little table, man, if we were to just make a spiritual comparison to what God has put on your plate and how you've reacted to it, when God says, hey, I understand you want all dessert, but you need some veggies on that plate. And we've thrown our plate over because, God, that is not what I wanted. God, I wanted the good stuff, just the sweet stuff, not the difficult stuff, not the seasons where my life is being tested and put through the fires of purification. It's like we just want the good stuff, and we have created, man, I'm going to tell you, there are entire communities of Christians where it's just the kids' table. The perspective is, if we walk with God, we will only get good things, never difficult things. That it should always be easy, and if spiritual life gets difficult or trying, or the pastor talks about an uncomfortable subject, then we need to just go find another place to eat at, because Christian life should always be easy. And we've created entire churches that are just like one big kid's table. And I want to tell you, today's topic, it's a refreshing topic, but I think that we see the refreshingness of the idea of thanksgiving through when everything is good. But I want to tell you, we are called to be thankful even when things are difficult. And in fact, the context of the passage that we're going to be looking at in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 today, the, the verse right before it in verse 15, the Apostle Paul gives the instruction of not repaying evil for evil. 
I mean, the the context surrounding the passage I'm about to read you. He says, when someone does you wrong, when someone offends you, if someone hurts you with words or whatever, don't repay to them what they did to you. And within the context of hurt from someone else, he continues in with these words that are so challenging, and we'll put this up on the screen. Verse 16 Within the context of when you've been harmed by someone else, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to start with, we have some emphasis here. Give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. And, and so if, if we're entering into the context where we've been harmed by someone else's action, someone else's attitude, someone else's word, this just feels like, like out of touch with reality. How do we give thanks when things are difficult? And I want to start with a clarification that one passage does not invalidate another. We see in Ecclesiastes that it says there, there's a time and there's a season for mourning. There's a season for all things in life. And this is not invalidating any other teaching of rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. This isn't invalidating these, but this is putting a spotlight that you have some control over your heart's reaction to any given situation. And our default reaction is that when things get difficult, we put on blinders to where we can only see the difficulty in front of us. And this is trying to open up our perspective and our vision a little bit that even when one thing is going wrong, it does not mean that everything is wrong. And even when someone criticizes you, don't repay them back evil for evil, but it first says rejoice always. In the season right now, do you feel like you can see the reasons that you have to rejoice? I mean, rejoice, like being joyful, that's pretty strong language. Like we like to stay in the middle of emotion. Like in our culture, in our time, it's like we we put a lot of value on just being calm and steady. And I'm a pretty calm and steady guy. But I want to tell you, Scripture is clear that we have reason for joy in our life. I I mean, to to read. Of course, it's a little bit, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says he's doing these things so that our joy may be complete. In John 15, 11, he says that your joy may be full. Galatians 5, 22, when it lists the fruits of the Spirit, it says one of the fruits, and when it says fruit, it means evidence that the Spirit of God is in your life. One of the things that will naturally happen in your life if you have the Spirit of God in your life is joy. And so in that context of difficulty, in that context of someone has harmed you, Apostle Paul says, rejoice always. And, and then he connects it to prayer, and then he connects it to thanksgiving. And I want, I want to just round our perspective that any one of these things begins to draw the other ones in when they're pointed towards God. That, that when you're rejoicing, there should be a natural drawing that if you're rejoicing about the things that God has blessed you with, if you're rejoicing about all the good things that God has poured into your life, it's going to naturally turn into like this, God, you are so awesome. Like this very simple prayer of praise that God, you are incredible. And while you do that, you can see how like the joy and the prayer is also connected to thanksgiving because it's like you're lifting up and you're celebrating the great things that God has done in your life. And it says to do this always, 
why do it always? Why, why does it need to be continual prayer? Why, need, why do we need to give thanks in all circumstances? Because no matter what you're going through currently, when you, when you step into that moment of saying, I have reason to, for joy, I have reason to speak to my heavenly father, and I have reason to be thankful, it can pull that, that tendency to go towards depression and isolation, it can pull you out of that because I'm gonna tell you, Satan would love for our perspective just to be wrapped up in the terrible things. He would love for you to see this concept that you're alone, that you're by that yourself, and that you don't have any blessings to be thankful for. But when your eyes begin to open and say, just the fact that I woke up with breath in my lungs today, just the fact that I have some, some family in my life still, the fact that I have some friends that I answer the phone when I call, just the fact that I have a church that I know the body of people there, they care about me and they will show up for me if I, just that enough is reason to rejoice. It's reason enough to praise God. And as soon as that wheel starts rolling and you are reminded of the reality that God is in your life, it puts your fears and your worries and your stresses in their place. That in due time, God is going to handle those things. I understand that there are times where we do not feel thankful. But the apostle Paul is writing and he's saying, be thankful. Your feelings might have to catch up with the reality that you live in. And this is not to say, put on a fake face. This is just saying, you need to get in better touch with reality that there are blessings in your life that maybe you've been closing your eyes to. We have a sense that unless it just happens naturally, we don't want to have it. But I want to tell you, there are times where it's like you just have to tell your heart, be lifted up, be thankful. Find the reason that you have to rejoice. You might not feel like praying, but I'm going to tell you, as soon as you start praying, that peace that surpasses all understanding creeps in with your prayers. And we often have to choose to just be engaged. Look, I see it this way, that when we as a parent, I, I'm, I apologize, I don't know, there's a lot of kid illustrations today. I have four kids and I, I write messages to myself and I let y'all listen because I need this encouragement. But when you as a parent did not get enough sleep the night before, and you're trying to do the best that you can so you wake up before that 6 a.m. even hits and you go and work out and you shower and you're back before your kids are even awake and you start getting them ready for school for the day and you load the backpack, you pack the lunch, you make them breakfast, you get them dressed, you drive the carpool, you get them to school, you go to work and you work all day and you are mentally exhausted by the time that you get home but you sit down with them and you learn that common core math that you don't understand anyway and you're pouring yourself out into it and then you take them to the sporting event and then you make dinner when you get home because you know you can't afford to eat out right now so you make the food at home and then you get them cleaned up, you repack the backpack, get the clothes set out for tomorrow, you get them in bed and as you're getting them in bed, you just simply casually say to them, I need you to pick up your clothes that you left on the floor. And they're like, why do I have to do everything here? And internally you're like, One day you're going to thank me for this whooping I'm about to give you. (laughs) Not that this has ever happened in my house. And you're like, you don't even know. (laughs) As a parent, you've experienced this. Like, you don't even know all the things 
that have been done. And you won't know because I didn't know either until I had my own kids. But you have the audacity to sit here and look me in the eye and say, this is too much. And it's not even about the clothes. It's not even about the kid. It's about the day and the exhaustion. And I get that. But when we think about all that God has done for us, and we think about our complaint of, oh God, do I really have to volunteer once a month? Do I really have to give a small part of what you've given me? Do I really have to be kind to that neighbor? Does it really matter if I stop and I talk to you at the beginning of my day and study your word? I mean, more and more I'm convinced that I am just like my kids towards God. Because I will get so hung up on the one thing that God is like, hey, Paul, you need to address this. My God, I'm doing so much. He's like, no, I'm doing so much for you. But I'm going to continue to teach you by calling you. And this isn't just a thing that he does with pastors. This is a thing that he does with his children, with his people, with his church. God has a calling on your life. And maybe it feels too big or too big of an ask, but I want to remind you, do you remember all that your heavenly father has done for you? Do you know that he promised to strengthen you, equip you, prepare you, but he also promises to send you, and so we should not drag our feet when he begins to send. And there's so many things that it's like we, we want to figure out, okay, God, exactly what do you want me to do? Like, what, what is the thing that you want me to do in the church or in the city? And I, I want to tell you, he, he very clearly says in this passage one of the things, and this is not a popular book that I'm about to recommend to you. You won't see it on the bestsellers list, but it's a good book. It's written by a gentleman who served on both the New American Standard Bible um, Translation Committee. Like He helped translate the Bible into, into English. He worked on the NIV Committee as well. And he wrote this book that is not on the top seller. You won't find it in many church lobbies because the title of the book is Knowing the Will of God, A Pagan Notion. And the premise of the book is this, that we as Christians, we spend so much time, and he compares it to divination of pagan religions, of saying, God, which color sneakers do you want me to wear today? Like, like which specific job within the city do you want me in? And we spend all this time trying to figure out these particulars when the reality is that God has given us clear instructions about his will in scripture that is not so much where we are, but how we are. And that Christians need to invest way more of their efforts into how they live rather than where they are living stagnantly. And in this passage, it gives you some clear instructions about the will of God. I don't know if you caught this in verse 18. We can put this up on the screen. It says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I mean, that, that's like a pretty hefty instruction right there. there. There's so many things that it's like, if we had a strong emotional sense that this place was God's will for us, if we had a, a strong emotional sense that God's will for us, for us was to go take this job, we would be like, I absolutely have to take this job because it's God's will and I know it. Look, you have it written straightforwardly to you 
God's will for you in your life is that you express thanksgiving continually. And why is that? Is it because he's demanding and that he's a mean boss and he wants to have his on your back and say, this is something that you have to do. No, it's because he's a loving heavenly father who knows what is best for you, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And when you get to a place where you can express thanksgiving freely, like it doesn't have to be the absolute best moment, it doesn't have to be your absolute favorite dish of food, like it can just be a pile of soggy canned green beans, but you're like, I have reason to be thankful even if it's not green bean casserole the way it should be. I have reason to be thankful. When you begin to express thanksgiving in a continued sense, you are aware of the blessings that God has in your life on a daily basis. When you're aware that he's blessed you, when something gets taken away, you have no fear about the fact that it will be replaced with something even better in time. You will have no fear about the fact that God is going to provide your needs in due season because it's already been on your mind that you have so much to be thankful for from him. It's, it's an interesting thing. Like I said, we're kid-themed today. I apologize to um, you guys. I apologize to my children. It's a weird thing when my kids start being in the room when, I pre- when I'm preaching, but th- this is life now. Um, one of my kids exceeds the other at saying thank you. And that's not to diminish any of them. They're, they're, they're grateful kids. But this is the interesting thing about it. There's one of them that always beats all the others to the punch. It's like we make dinner. She's the most likely one to say thank you first. We stop and we, we let them get a drink at the gas station or Slurpee or something. Thank you. Grab her a coffee. She's the first one. Thank you. But every single time that she pipes up first, my, my other kids always, boom, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you. If she doesn't start it, often no one will say it. But when she does, it spreads. One of the reasons that Thanksgiving, declaring what you're thankful for is powerful is because of the impact that it has on the people around you. I don't want to hurt anybody with this. But if all your kids hear from you is complaining and degrading other people, why are you surprised when all they do is complain and degrade other people? If they're never thankful for anything, do they ever see you being thankful for anything? Because there's a reality that what we model multiplies. I see it in my kids. I see my positive and negative traits in my kids. And I'm like, oh man, they saw that. (laughs) One of the reasons that God gives you this instruction to be thankful is because what it does to the community that lives around you. It's what it does to your children. It's what it does to your spouse. It's what it does to your coworkers. I understand that your coworker got you that, that piece of the project because it was assigned to them and that you don't have to tell them thank you. You don't have to tell them that you're grateful for the work that they do because they're paid to do it. But I want to tell you, it's going to improve the culture in your office place if you do say thank you. If you do express gratitude for the great work that they do. 
And in fact, I would tell you, Scripture pretty clearly demonstrates that God wants you to give gratitude, both to him and to others, to let it overflow from your life, is the way that Scripture continues to describe it. Because this is not just an isolated passage where, where we see the instructions that we need to be thankful. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will for you in Christ Jesus. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says. But then if you go over to Colossians chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 6 and we'll go through verse 7. And it gives us parameters because both things are for the believer in Christ. I mean, in 1 Thessalonians 5, it said, for those who are in Christ Jesus, be thankful, all circumstances. This is the will of God. Like, it doesn't get heavier or more clear in Scripture than that than in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Look, there's what we recognize that we should be thankful for. That's one category. And then there's what we should be thankful for, which is a much larger category. And I I, want to push some of your awareness today. Where are the blessings that I, I've had them there, but I haven't seen them? Have, have we been stingy with our thankfulness? Because the instruction from scripture is that it's supposed to be just overflowing. It's supposed to spill out everywhere we go, like a toddler who filled up their own cup, right? Mama's no in the household. There's no margin, like it just, it, it spills over. That's how our thankfulness is supposed to be. It's supposed to be evident to all that we're around. The person who serves you, if you go out for brunch or lunch after this today, you should be thanking your server. But they're paid to do it. Thank them anyway. But they didn't do a great job. Still thank them anyway. Let it overflow. Let it be messy the way that your thankfulness spreads around your life. That anyone who comes into contact with you, they're going to experience some of this gratitude that you have. I think that, that we've been really, really contained in it, but I think that there needs to be some perspective shift. Uh, one of the questions that I think is really powerful on this that you've heard before is, what would you have if you only had today what you thanked God for yesterday? Some of y'all would have woke up with nothing. Some of y'all would have woke up with no one. I know I've been guilty of that plenty of times, but with that, that very simple question, if you only had what you thanked God yesterday for, what would you have left? And I think that, that that's a good guiding question, and I, I, I want to clarify, I don't want you to live in fear that God's going to, take, he's going to take things away because you weren't thankful enough. Thankfully, that's not how he works. But I've seen a healthier side of me that is ready to receive more and ready to do more and ready to impact more when my heart is healthy, when my heart is right. And I don't want the people that you love to miss out on hearing what is inside of your heart. I don't want the people that are near you to miss out on hearing the worship that God has placed in your heart. There's a story of a father and a son. And the son is now 50 years old and he's waiting in the hospital lobby as his dad is near the time of passing. 
And he was never especially close with his father. His father was always very distant, um, didn't give I, give I love you's much. And so when it came to time to pass, most of the family was just in the lobby. But once his father had passed, he was given a letter from his dad. And band, if you guys want to make your way out, I'm going to close this up in the next couple minutes. He was given a, a letter and... Through his 50 years with his father, the I love you's were rare, the, the I'm proud of you barely happened. There weren't the, the fishing trips, there weren't the shared activities, but he got this letter from his dad, and as he opened it, he recognized immediately the handwriting of his father, though what was written just seemed completely foreign to him, because his father just gushed over him in this letter. And he wrote, son, since the time that I had you, you were the joy of my life. In school, you were always the brightest, and you brought home A's, and I was so proud of you. When you started on the baseball team, I couldn't have been happier of the work that you put in. The family that you created was incredible and so much better than I ever could have done. I have always loved you so, so much. And he poured, and he poured his heart out. And and the son, he cried, and he rejoiced, but he also mourned. Because it was great to hear that his father loved him like that. But he mourned because he said, why didn't I get to look my dad back in the eye and say, I love you too, in moments where he felt that? Why wasn't what was felt inside shared with a hug and an embrace? Why, if, he, if he enjoyed spending time with me so much, why didn't we spend more time together? And I understand that there are feelings that are felt that aren't expressed in so many of us. And I know so many of you, you have a deep reverence and love and thankfulness to God, but you've kept it locked behind walls. And I do not want to live my life with things unspoken. I hope that my children grow up knowing that I absolutely love them and I love to spend time with them and they they mean the world to me. I want my God to know that my heart and my life and my future are His and and that what He has done and what He has given me is far more than I will ever deserve. Like He is blessed and He is blessed and He is blessed. And I don't, I don't want you, I don't want me to get to the end of our life and be like, I have all of these feelings of worship that never got loose. I have all these feelings of affection for my parents, for my siblings, for my children that have never been spoken. And so this is the challenge, the very simple application of today. I want you to identify something to be grateful to God for that you haven't talked about enough and express that to him, gratitude up and gratitude out. Someone in your life that you are thankful for, that you're like, I just haven't told them enough. And go and tell them, tell them thank you. Tell them that you appreciate them. They may not deserve it completely, but let them know. Maybe no one else has, has expressed gratitude to you like that before. Break the cycle. It's the will of God for your life that your your thankfulness would just be overflowing. And you know that if the church would just become this place where encouragement can flow,
that, that the power of God would be on display in a more visible way. And in your life, in your family, if gratitude was on display at a higher level, everything else would operate a little bit better. It would be easier to fold that laundry if everybody else said thank you. Don't wait for anyone else to break the cycle. You start. So this is the challenge. Something that you need to thank God for and express that to him. Someone else in your life that you need to make a phone call to or send a text message or schedule a lunch. Express to them how thankful you are to them. Because this is the will of God for your life. Expressing gratitude. Let's pray. Father, you have poured so many blessings into our life. There's so much that we could rejoice about. <laughs> There's so much that we should talk to you about. But would your spirit just place on our heart and our mind that upward gratitude and that outward gratitude that we need to express this week? Would you give us just a resolute mind that we're going to do this, we're going to take that step of expression because it honors you and because it is the will of God for your church that we would be a people who are thankful. And we are. Continue to stir and move our hearts as we worship in Jesus' name.